worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Now let's go. So sometimes you just find people on the internet and you know you wanna have a bigger conversation with them. Today is one of those days. I wanna have you meet Mary Van Geffen. She's an international parenting coach for overwhelmed moms of strong-willed and spicy children. She helps moms over the phone or FaceTime gain confidence to choose gentle and respectful parenting, especially if they weren't raised that way. I was drawn like a moth to a flame to Mary's reels about parenting. She's funny. She she doesn't take herself too seriously. She's just a great ball of energy. She lives in California. So I can't wait for you to meet Mary Van Geffen today. I am excited today to introduce you to Mary Van Geffen. If you're on Instagram, which I know you are because that is like the best place on the internet for moms, you need to make sure you find Mary Ann Geffen because when I found her, my heart did a little, ah. So welcome, Mary. (laughs) Hi, good to be here. And I'm not sure if you called me Mary Ann or Mary Van. Oh, probably I said that wrong. Yeah, I probably said it. So it's Mary Van Geffen. Everybody does. Yeah, so Mary how, Van Geffen. when people look for you on Instagram, where should they look for you first? So we can do this at the end and at the beginning. Um, it, it's just my name, Mary Van Geffen, like driving van Geffen records. Excellent. And um, yeah, parenting coach. Yeah, you are a parenting coach. Do you have two kids of your own? I do. I have a 16 year old spicy um, brazen gal and a 14 year old laid back Enneagram nine boy. That is fantastic. Did you know your daughter was spicy from the start? How did you know that you were raising a kid like Well, this? at first, you know, when it's just your only child. And to be honest, she was an angel baby. Like I would be like, look at my gorgeous baby with her big head and her big eyes. And, and she was um, very regular. Uh, and so I didn't yet know about temperament. And so um, I don't think I really clued in until around two two and a half when the um, the upset or the emotions wouldn't just kind of pass through. It would be an hour long thing that was now kind of on. Um, so it was the, I would say around two, two and a half is when I realized she was more intense than her peers. It's so interesting, <laughs> right? And with your firstborn, you don't really know too until you're around, you see another kid have a 
an experience of emotions and you're like, oh. Yes. Or you see an experience of obedience and compliance that is not what happens in your home. And, and yes. you know, you're both both adults being calm and kind when they say it, but one child going, oh, okay, you said it. So it must be so my liege. And then you've got your own kid who's spicy, who says, no, that doesn't resonate with me. I'm going to do what I want to do. So what were you always a parenting coach, Mary? Or did you fall into this because of your own spicy kid? Fell into it because I hit a dead end. I um, I began to think of her and talk about her in such negative ways. Like, oh my gosh, she's so bossy. She's so dramatic. She's so needy. She's uh, so intense. Nothing's easy with her. And it was just sort of this running. I was marinating and kind of my dislike for her. Mm -hmm. And um, honestly, the first thing I did was not the wisest is I, I was like, I need to get her diagnosed with something. If I can just get a label, then I will, um, I will feel vindicated that, that this is hard because there's something wrong with her. You know, I, I think it's so, I, so refreshing to hear you say that, even though I'm sure it's hard to, to say that this, that's the space you were in necessarily, because yeah, um, I've definitely had some thoughts about that, like my spicy kid, like, well, if they just had a label, then, then that would explain why this feels so hard. Yeah. Instead of and, accepting that this is just a beautiful gift of a temperament. Yeah. And, and I think that spicy is at least how I define it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. How do you define it? Yeah. Okay. We'll get to how I define it. But I think it comes from a collection of things. It's their temperament. It's their depth and intensity of emotion. But it's also the mom or the parents need to be in control and to please others. And it's sort of... So I could have, there could be a situation with a very intense, um, highly feeling, um, highly self-directed child where their parent is, is so gracious and so content not calling all the shots and so evolved that they might ne never decide as a family that it's a spicy kid. So I do think there's two parts to this. There's the parents' evolution and maturity, yeah. emotional maturity, and then there's the child's intensity. That makes total sense because to be completely honest, the kid that I thought was the spiciest before the pandemic, like I don't see them the same way when there wasn't any of the outside pressure uh, from the yeah. world. Like when the world shut down, like I got to take a deep sigh of relief and, and it changed how I see that kid because I didn't have any of those outside views. Like I could just let the kid be the kid because we were going to all be stuck together. Yes. And in the pandemic both allowed us to stop having to be judged by other people as to yes. our parenting and our child. And it also got rid of all the transitions, which are the flashpoints. Those are when the upset comes is, well, we got to get there on time or you got to stop doing that so we can do this. Like that all went out the window and it was so refining, wasn't it? To really figure out what was going on. It, it definitely gave like me, uh, and I feel like I've worked on parenting for so long. It gave me a space to be like, oh, this, this wasn't what I thought it was. Like this mm -hmm. was me reacting to outside pressures of needing to look good a little bit more than I wanted to admit. You're such a reflective mom, Christy. <laughs> what? Wait, do you want to know how to define spicy? Yes, yes, please. Okay. So I would say, and when you said you were going to ask me, what is a spicy yeah. child? Oh, wow. I need to, I had never really put it down on paper. So 
It's usually a child who's louder than appropriate. (laughs) They speak to adults with no hesitation or fear. They have a kind of a zest for life and an idea and a plan. Um, Sometimes they laugh when they're disciplined. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, They let you know when something's not fair. They have an intense um, uh, bend towards justice. Like, Mm -hmm. that's not right. Uh, They're... They can articulate things in a way that feels older than they are. Yep. They're a master negotiator um, and they feel other people's feelings. There's a little bit of an empath in there too, yeah. but you can also have a spicy child who's sort of clueless to the impact they're having on others, or you can have one that is so aware, grandma hates me. You know what I mean? That kind of thing. That picks up it all. Yes. Um, they're very, very impatient, uh, you know, upon waking when my daughter was three if you didn't get your butt in the kitchen make her milk she's going to make it herself and spill it everywhere and it just you just had to get in front of her and get ahead of her um they ignore unjust rules i remember my child being four and climbing up on a porch and i was okay with it and my sister-in-law and her niece were not okay with it my sister-in-law said no you can't go up there to her daughter and my daughter went on a campaign to try to get that cousin up on the porch. I'll help you. I'll push you up. Because in t- to her mind, no, this is fun. This is good. We should do it. Yeah. If um, my mom's letting me, you should get to. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So there's a lot of in our, this is what we do in our family. Every family is different. Um, so it can look very defiant, a spicy child. And also their emotions are so intense and they often do not know how to regulate themselves and P.S. No child knows how to regulate themselves, but correct. Many adults don't either. They don't what? Many adults don't know how to regulate. Yeah. Hello. That's where all my clients come from. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. They can, um, they can use their words in such a harsh way, but then be so broken by things that we say. Um, like I remember my daughter being in preschool and, um, she would say things like shut your mouth to me. Or I hate you. And it was so intense. And so you really learn quickly to not th- take things personally yep. and to help your child reframe. Oh, it sounds like you really do not want to go to preschool today. Or she would say things. She would look at a, a friend in the face who was four and say, oh, can you not stand so close to us? Because your breath doesn't smell good. And like, <laughs> who knows how to say that? That's me. Like, I was so worried I was raising a mean girl. And I just have to tell you. This 16-year-old is a brilliant shining star. So if you're listening right now and you're like, oh, yeah, me too. I'm raising a psychopath. You're not. (laughs) They become these amazing adults. She was the first of her peers to get a job outside the home because she was ready to make it happen, right? Yeah. And she can talk to anybody and she's just she's just a breath of fresh air. And so like my whole mission in life is to help people switch up how they're looking at that spicy child as, as a gift and a, and an invitation to grow emotionally for the adult um, to be able to stay in line and to assist that child. So when you decided you had a spicy child, what was the thing that shifted? What made you appreciate her when you decided like, okay, I need this not be adversarial towards her basically. Yes. Well, I wish I had a more romantic answer, but the answer is therapy. I took her to therapy. Oh, well, let's find her a therapist, a play therapist. <laughs> she went once. Right, because you the were trying said, to solve her and get a diagnosis. Yes, I was still trying to fix her. 
and um, then ended up going a second time. And the the therapist said, would you mind coming alone next time? And I thought it was so that we could hash a plan of how to save this psychopath I was raising. But I ended up going for two and a half more years on my own. And what switched, what shifted over a longer period was I cut the cord of a generational narrative. Yeah. When I was little, I was considered dramatic and bossy and too much and needy. And I was taking those same words and ways of seeing someone and putting them on her. So I had to first kind of heal some of my um, hurts and limiting beliefs about me so that then there was more spaciousness. And when she's acting the way that she's going to act, it wasn't a personal affront to me. And I could meditate on what was good and beautiful about her because I was very sure what was good and beautiful about myself. Like I think of all those like dating books that we all looked yeah. at when we were, and it was all like, you have to love yourself before someone else can love you. And as trite as that is, it's the same in parenting. You can't be merciful and compassionate and kind to your kid. If you're not participating in that same loving for yourself. I love that. Cause it sounds like you were, you had to come to the fact that you were parenting from a place of fear that she would be like you. Cause that was, yeah, not well, okay I'd already decided you. she was, but yeah. I, I think I forgot. <laughs> it wasn't that okay that, that you could be that way. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's it. Christine. Because it's so scary when, yeah, because you were told so many of these things growing up that you weren't enough. And it sounds like in a lot of ways. I, right? I'm unique and in I that was told, I was too much. Yeah. Some people are told they're not enough. I was too much. <laughs> I, I was told that I was bossy, right? Like it was gonna, I was gonna be the world leader. And sometimes they spun it as a good world leader. And other times it was like, you're gonna be the dictator of everyone. Like mm-hmm. you need to back yeah. off. <laughs> and our words like matter so much because it all comes back as our own inner dialogue later. So when you work to let yourself be you fully did you express compassion more easily to her you were able to take that step back yes and i was able to not take things personally like i was able to there's a little bit of enmeshment i think that happens when we think how the world looks at that child says something about us when actually they're not it's not true your child can be sad and destructive and upset and you can still be a good mom. So I was able to separate out her behavior from whether or not it meant I was a good mom. I am a good mom. I'm continuing to show up. I'm not getting in the car and driving to Vegas and never seeing them again. I'm a good mom. Yeah, you're you're in the arena with her, but yes. her behavior is not like a mirror of your value of motherhood. Yes, exactly. Yeah. If someone's struggling and they're not able to handle the tantrum in the grocery store, right? Because the kid didn't get the cereal or how did, how were you able to shift from public displays of too much emotion? How did you initially handle those things or well, not too much also, emotion, but just emotion? Yeah. Um, when you get better at comforting yourself, you can comfort a child but a lot of us didn't grow up being comforted. So it's like a foreign language. So in that situation in public, um, I, I, well, I, I think you're asking me about my personal story and my brain goes to teaching. Yeah, so no, feel I, free to do teaching. Yeah, please teach. <laughs> so what I know now is that there is no emergency, even though our nervous system is saying, oh my gosh, stop the crying, make it stop. Everyone's looking at you. There is no emergency and Going into full sloth mode 
of like moving super slow. My child is crying and it's okay. And so talking to yourself and your child in a slow, calm way and calming down your, because usually self-regulation is about like helping our body come back to normal, helping our pulse slow down, helping the racing thoughts come down. And so in public, that's even harder. Yeah. Um, so I don't think we can avoid it, but I also like full truth. I'm kind of, kind of always been someone who as an Enneagram four, I know I'm different. I, so it's like people judging me. It doesn't affect me in the same way. I think that it does like a pleaser or somebody who very much wants to be seen as um, as a good mom, like that really wasn't my struggle as much. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes it's so helpful to see other people doing it right. Like, and right is a, is yeah. a kind of a false word, but to see someone like, is there anything that like hits your heart more than when you see a child losing it and all of our inner like judges are like, somebody get control of that. We can't help it. Like immediately, it's like somebody oh, better yeah. handle that. And then you see that kind of mom and, and she's very rare that like comes in, gets quiet and says, you're very sad. I can see that. Let me hold you. And like slows everything down. Like they don't have to be anywhere else. Like there is such beauty in that. Like that is the goal is I want to be like that. I want my clients to be able to be like that, where instead of thinking we got to get through these feelings to do the thing, we realize the thing is these feelings. Like right here is the moment we've been waiting for. This is what parenting is all about is to show up kindly and calmly and firmly around these feelings. I'm not telling people to not hold limits, but let's not right. be afraid of the feelings and walk on eggshells. Cause for a while that was me. Um, oh my gosh, I don't want to get her riled up. I'll just, I won't mention this thing or we'll just change it. Like we, I was like a, head researcher on how to avoid her big feelings. And yeah. it turns out these spicy ones, they need to lose it at least once a day to recalibrate, to off gas all the tension. And so it's not a failure when they lose it. It's it's like they got to sleep every day. They also got to lose it. That's you know, huge. On there. No, that's great. Because I think that that's what <laughs> I need to hear this again. Because when you when you're not used to sitting with feelings because people didn't sit with your feelings taking the time to slow down to acknowledge the feelings can feel like you're giving in right that there's this whole paradigm of like you're supposed to be the one in charge um and then if oh, I can i i gotta interrupt that yeah because please we're supposed to be in charge but we're not supposed to be in control correct we're supposed to be in charge of ourselves yeah yeah <laughs> um but yeah, so when you're in those moments, if you sit down and slow down through it, they go better. But that's not the default, I think, for any parent that starts normally, or at least parents that are looking for help, right? Yeah, and I think everybody has their own journey because there are some parents who get really soft and slow, but they aren't able to hold a boundary. Or, okay. um, yeah. you know, they they kind of do child... Um, led instead of child-centered and so they get a child that doesn't grow any resilience around oh i wanted this thing and i couldn't have it and now i'm, I'm okay on the other side so i think it's easy to look at somebody who stays calm in public and think oh man they got it so together but they have their own battle absolutely facing. so if someone wants to learn how to sit with a kid that's having emotions that feels uncomfortable you recommend slowing down is the first strategy well, 
this is why like I won't I won't coach couples because I think parenting is so individual mm-hmm. based on how you were raised, what messages you received, did you have siblings, you know, um so I I there is not a blanket. Step 1, step 2. <laughs> yeah. But overall, um slothing, going slower is important, but also really getting um raising your ability to notice an emotion in your body earlier than later. So before you can kind of help your kid get up to speed on their emotions, it's you checking in several times a day, putting your hand on your heart and saying, how am I doing? How do I feel right now? Oh, wow. I've had to pee for the last 45 minutes and I've ignored it because I haven't checked in with my own body and my own emotions or physical sensations. I want to put both of those out there that you should be aware of what's happening in your body Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. your emotions. But Generally, emotions come from a thought. And so get capturing our thoughts and noticing, like, am I saying to myself, oh, here we go again. If I'm thinking that thought, then my stomach's going to brace and the emotion is going to be hopelessness or anger. So slothing, but also becoming really aware of what's the thought we want to have about this child. Like I would even write, if you're listening to this right now, write down the thought you want to have about this child the next time they have a huge emotion. Do you want it to be um, emotions are natural and important? And this is an opportunity to connect with my child. Or do you want it to be, you know, um, yet again, this child is losing it. I'm so sick of this. Right. So those two different thoughts are going to change every emotion and how your body is. Looks like you have something Absolutely. to say about Absolutely. Yeah. No. I th- and I want to encourage someone like writing it down. I always had um, for a while I had the sticky note like the kid is having a hard time not giving me a hard time. And it was mm. on my mirror for the longest time. So like when I brushed my teeth, when I put on my makeup, like this idea, like people just have a hard time that. They're allowed to be human just like I'm allowed to be human. But I think mm. the idea of checking in with yourself and treating yourself as a human that has feelings and emotions and sensations instead of um, putting too much pressure on yourself to be a machine while mothering and getting all mm. the things done, um, it's important to remember that you're a human just like your kids and where you're coming from your feelings, wherever your body is, is going to change how you react to the situation. Yeah, and not only are you a human, but you are also learning a ton and your brain is changing so much, just like your child. I mean, this is matriescence. They say your brain in the in the first few years of motherhood changes more structurally than it does in puberty. So Whoa. cut yourself some slack if you feel like you're drinking water out of a fire hydrant it's all new. You're changing. You're not the same person you were. So checking in with this new version of yourself is so important um, to know how you feel about it. One question I like to ask mothers to um, meditate on is, what am I feeling right now? And better to ask yourself that in moments of calm, like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm pouring my coffee. Nobody needs me just yet. What am I feeling right now? Hmm, I'm feeling kind of numb. Okay. Checking in so that later when the S hits the fan and your child is screaming at you, you can take a moment and it's a, a muscle memory of what am I feeling right now? Oh, my, I'm feeling, mm, I'm feeling angry. Okay. Like just non, as you said at the beginning before the, the recording came on it, 
a non-anxious presence of noticing what's happening for you yep. so you can notice yep. what's happening for them. Yeah, that I think we need to give ourselves a little bit more permission or or have space for not rushing so we can notice those things. Yes. Now, you, um, you're influenced by simplicity parenting, right? Yes, I am. I, I, I was super gung ho and, and into it, you know, back in when I got certified in 2011. Um, it doesn't really address the emotional component okay. of parenting. It's really about setting up the ex the um, exterior the environment yeah. and it which is super helpful but I'm kind of now in this phase yep. of my coaching totally. much more obsessed with the inner workings of of reparenting and um com- and communication and things that aren't as as touched on in there yeah did you no read problem. the book I did absolutely it made a the phrase that I remember from simplicity parenting that I use the most is the soul fever oh phrase. yes tell them about the soul fever Christy. I don't know if I'm going to get it right, but it's the idea that like, just like your body can have a fever and feel ill and get sick, that your soul can feel uncomfortable and anxious and need a break and that we can label for our kids that we have the soul fever and that our body, our soul needs something different, some tending. Yes. And let me build on that by saying, how do you show up when one of your children has a physical fever, when they've just hit 101? What do you do as a mom in that situation? Me, I give them a blanket, get them a sippy cup with the favorite straw, make sure it's the liquid that I know that they prefer, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, yeah. I, and I see you kind of leaning in yeah. <laughs> and your voice got a little more tender. Yep. <laughs> and that posture, that moving towards and slowing down is the exact same posture that's needed when they're having a soul fever. Are spicy kids just going in and out of soul fevers during the day? Do you think that's what's happening? I think soul fever is like a metaphor that's so helpful, but sometimes it can be literally um, the dis- disequilibrium that comes with um, child development, right? Yeah. If you ever see that like spiral, it's mm-hmm. two steps forward, one step back. And so they get good at one thing, like suddenly they're really becoming articulate and and suddenly they don't walk as well. You know what I mean? So something gives, so it's hard to say when it's a soul fever, but I think the soul fever is really um, just a metaphor for the mom to say like, like you said, this isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. Mm -hmm. And this is a chance to like, I can bring compassion to this rather than resistance. Right, because yeah, a sick kid kind of brings you to your knees and your heart kind of breaks for them. A little bit. You want to, you want to, you want your spicy kid back when they're having a fever. Absolutely. Do you think that when, um, as parents grow with their kids and their kids grow, I find that one of the harder things is the expectations I put on my teenagers and that my tone isn't always easy with that spicy kid compared to my younger spicy kid who I, um, I don't know. I think that I don't have as much pressure built up on him, maybe. That, and I think sometimes we mistakenly try to parent a tween or a teen in the same way we parented younger kids. And our whole approach has to completely shift. We go from, in the beginning, the first seven years, I would tell you, be the benevolent dictator. Say things like, you may go brush your teeth 
And in this home, we take our plates to the sink. You may speak that way, right? And it's yeah. it's needed. They want these boundaries. We cannot act that way once our child is 9, 10, 11. We have to shift and be more of a, a gardener, someone who says, you know, oh, I know how this, this, this tree is going to grow the way it's going to grow, but I can put up some structures around it. I can get rid of pests. It's just a different posture. And sometimes the the struggle comes when we're still trying to control their behavior in the same way that we did when they were younger and they're be emerging into real people. Absolutely. So what shifts do you recommend when someone's working towards that phrase? Like my youngest is eight, he's going to be nine. So I'm right in the zone of how do yeah. I scaffold so I don't try to over parent in that way. But then also I have a 14 and 13 year old and I know that they get frustrated sometimes, right? Cause I don't pivot between how I talk to the eight year old versus them. Yeah, that's so hard. <laughs> um, I think sometimes it can just be the language we use. Um, we're shifting from telling to um, asking as their teenagers. So it's not um, be home you know, by eight, it's what time do you plan to be home? And then they're saying, well, I have to do this. this, this. You're helping them to think through things that maybe they wouldn't. Um, you're asking them like, well, we're a team. So you want to use the car. Um, how will that work for your little brother? You're kind of putting it back on them, asking questions, which is also helping them to grow their ability to consider other people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that would be the primary way is that you're becoming more of a coach, like, well, have you considered? Um, and you're really looking for delighting in them and not taking that, that angsty, hormonal brain coming on in a whole different way personally. So that's important too. It's not, they, they feel a little bit like they're going insane and they need to look at you and see that you are unfazed by the attitude care more about what you've asked them to do, less about how they do it. An eye roll, you are big enough to handle eye rolls. This is so good to hear. You did a video about your reels are amazing on Instagram. And you did one about like asking your kid to unload the dishwasher. Yeah. <laughs> and how they heard you versus how um, you said yes, it. They're, the teenage brain, first off, the way it um the way the brain matures is the first part that comes online is the emotion center so it's like they're going through a renovation of their brain through puberty and people used to think it was it was the hormones it's really the fact that the brain is changing so much and so they feel adult level emotions without the the last part to come on is the regulation part and the the part that allows them to have self-control and self-manage. So they're not making up how angry they are or upset. They literally are feeling adult level emotion without the ability to regulate it. So we have to have a lot of compassion for that. There's that's, yeah. Is this like new science? Cause that's like huge. Maybe it's not like brand new, but I don't think everyone well, knows that. There's an amazing book that, that I want you to read called, untangled um and it's it's about like the stages that a child uh, a, a girl goes through i know this book by lisa yeah. and she's got her own amazing podcast so we'll link it yeah. into the show notes too lisa yeah. damore 
I think that's her name. That sounds right. And she was the one that first kind of alerted me to the way the brain comes on. And the fact that they will play this hot potato thing with you, where if they're feeling bad about something, they will try to lunge it at you so that you can feel bad about it. And then they can go back to being fine. And so again, so much self-management is needed to be like, wait, who's upset here? Oh, my teen's upset. And that's okay for them to be upset, but I'm not going to be upset. But that reel was about how they are wired. Like if you do, they've done research that shows that when you show faces to a, a teenager, faces that are neutral, they see as aggressive. Wow. And so they're wired to see on your face and in your tone of voice that you are coming for them, that you, um, that you're angry when you're not. So we need to really low, like, lower the stakes when we communicate to them because they're already seeing this, this aggression that might not even be there. So it sounds like just like we would treat a newborn with like a special tone that we need to be really mindful of our tone with teenagers and kids from like nine and up where all those changes are happening. Yes. I'm actually working on a class I want to teach on tone because it's such an unfair but important technique or tool. But so many of us grew up in homes where we were spoken to in a really disrespectful tone. And now we're in marriages where we're using that tone and and tone is like teaching someone to sing. Like if you haven't heard the song, you can't just make it up. So I'm actually putting together like a one hour class on teaching tone. And I think I'm going to do like a call and response, which is like, wow, this room, I was hoping it would be clean. Um, can you please put these things in the, fr- in the refrigerator for me? You know, and have people like say it back because we need practice. It's we need so the muscle smart. Memory. I know that I've practiced with my kids when I've gotten frustrated before. Like we've done this thing where where we say a phrase in a whisper and then we say it sing-songy and then they say it yelling and how it all feels awesome. different in our body. But, oh, yeah. you know, in the in the daily life of mothering, sometimes like these things that we practice aren't always easy to implement. No, they're not. They're not. For me, what helps is to take on a character. And that may be because I'm a goofball. But like if I <laughs> am really angry and I go to like Siri, like, please clean up this mess before I come into the kitchen. I can't handle it. Like bringing like sometimes I can't be me in that moment because me would be just really rude and and, and critical. And we don't want to let our teens make us turn into teens and that, you know, yes. the, the internal teen is an eye roller. She has contempt and we don't want to take that, that um, character on. We want to be the inner benevolent queen. That's now allowing for more space for that teen to make their own decisions. Right. Because my inner calm as an adult can't depend on someone with, with an immature brain. Like if I'm using them to regulate from, I'm never going to approach them mm-hmm. from a space that, my best self completely setting an intention about who you want to be no matter what they do and that happens all the time like i'll have a client come and we'll get on the phone and i'll say what do you want to work on i want to get my child to be more <laughs> and then my next question is okay and if they don't become more how do you want to be yeah because that's yeah. really the work of parenting is who do you want to be continuously each time you make a new commitment to be that regardless of what your child does do you have practices that help you besides, I mean, you mentioned one of them of like checking in with how you're feeling. Do you have other practices that help you? Because yes, parenting is just 
the long haul, right? Like one of my goals, right, is to have it so my kids want to come home when they're 40 and I mm -hmm. want to delight in them still then. We're going to have a lot more time with our kids as adults than when they're kids. So we got to make sure that we're laying a foundation that, that still has us connected when they're an adult. Yes. Yeah. Well, one of those practices is one-on-one -on -one time because okay. real intimacy doesn't happen in a group. I mean, you ever been a part of like a book club or a ladies and like you have a great time, but you would never one-on-one -on -one spend it with one of those ladies. Like there's just it part of the group's fine. And that's why like we can be a family and never taking the time to really know one of our children. And yeah. so part of that is having that one-on-one -on -one time that they lead, that they, um, it's not doing what we want to do. It's doing what they want to do. And we are just practicing unconditional positive regard for them during that time. And we are delighting in them and we are trying to get to a place of laughter. So doing that at least weekly with each child, um, I have a lot of ways that I ground myself and my clients, like yeah. physical things I do. I think that's really important. I think getting away from your children. Ooh. And I think that's really important to, that absence does make the heart grow fonder. And so having, you know, every few months, a night away, you know, where you are just a human being instead of a mom, yeah. I think that's important. What do you, what do you do to kind of stay grounded in this way? You know, sometimes it's a challenge. It's me going on early walks or taking myself out because thankfully my kids are ages and stages where I can leave them together and they'll be safe. Um, That's so important. Like just physically getting out. Yes. And then, you know, it, I feel like in some ways Instagram's amazing, but in other ways it makes things trite that are actually like essential. Mm -hmm. And one of those is self-care. I feel like self-care <laughs> It's like ways to do self-care, breathe, pay, take a bubble bath. But literally, if you are not caring for yourself, then of course you will become depleted. And a, a lot of my clients are sort of the pleaser types that give and give, assuming that giving is transactional, that they'll get something back. And you don't always because our children aren't here to give back to us. So we yes. have to care for ourselves. We have to ask for what we need. We have to set boundaries, even if they make other people upset. Yeah. Um, but that is crucial and being able to sustain this and do this long term. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. I like your framework of the things that you do. And it sounds like when you do that connection time with your kids, that if you're getting to laughter, that you you value the same thing I do. That one of my my frameworks is that parenting motherhood is too serious to be serious all the time. Ooh, say that again. Motherhood is too serious to be serious all the time. Yes. Yeah. It kind of reminds you of like, you're too busy not to pray. Yeah. Similar. <laughs> Similar, yeah. right? Like we get stuck in the seriousness of raising kids that, that aren't psychopaths, right? And getting mm -hmm. and putting labels on them and trying to fix them that we lose who they are, which mm -hmm. is what your journey has been is finding and meeting your daughter. What's a way you connect with your kids right now? Do you have a simple idea for a mom that's feeling disconnected? Mm. Um, you know, and it always depends on their age, right? So Absolutely. Yeah. When There's a wide like, range. Yeah. Yeah. When they're 12 and under, I think going and just laying on their floor and being completely available um, is powerful and seeing and, and kind of like improving. What are they into? What do you want to do? What's up? Mm -hmm. And just saying yes. Um, but I think there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of credit you get when you plan it in the future. 
like, hey, I want to have a mommy and me time, just me and you. We're going to do it next Tuesday. Look at me. I'm writing it on the calendar. What color should I make? And I'm like, okay, I'll make it orange. And what should we do? Oh, you want to have a picnic? Okay, we got to think about what we bring on that picnic. So you're pouring, you're, you're saying over and over again, you matter enough to me that I'm using my brain to think about this in the future. And you're also getting it to implant in their memories in memory banks because when we have anticipate something, I was going to say, a what a place. power of anticipation there yeah, instead of yeah. flying by the cuff. Um, for my 14 year old boy, um, we have the same sense of humor and we like to, um, and we never, we've never said this is what we're doing, oh, right. but right. if we are sitting in a room and the dog comes in, one of us immediately starts being the voice like, Hey guys, what's up? And then the other person will add to it like, eh, not much first thing. So I'm going to need some more food. And so we'll kind of go back and forth and do sketches together. And that won't happen if I've got my phone and I'm on a deadline. So I have to, I have to carve out times to just go kind of be. Yeah, and then with my yeah. daughter, she is, you know, as, as 16, she really wants to go like have breakfast someplace beautiful. So of course they get to an age and like money becomes part of the um, special time. So sometimes you can set that limit and say, you know, I don't, I can't spend any money today, but I just want to spend time together. Will you go for a walk with me? Or, um, you know, when they're five, six, and seven, a good old game of tag or hide and go seek is a beautiful way of connecting or just sitting down and watching their play. Oh, look at the Polly Pocket or what are, what are people playing now? They're not playing Polly Pocket. I don't know. We've got a lot of Legos at my house right now. Yes. Like, oh, wow, you're putting the red ones on top. Exactly. Cool. Like, and oh. you're just noticing it, not necessarily evaluating it or praising mm-hmm. it. But just showing up and seeing it and they're going to look up and there's going to be this moment where they're like, wow, my mom's just watching me play. She must really like me, you know, or she must see value in me. Um, So that is very connecting just to show up to their play. And it sometimes, unfortunately, it's a video game and you sit down and they look at you thinking, oh, you're going to try to make me get off. And it's like, no, look at you. Tell me how this works or, oh, you got him. You got him. Just, you know, like. Coming into their world, yeah, whatever their world is. Valuing what they're valuing, even if yeah. you don't understand it. Yes. Yeah. Well, very neat. I appreciate this conversation so very much. You're about to teach a class on siblings. I want to give you a moment to te- oh, talk thanks. about this. Yeah. It's, it's starting. Uh, I don't know when you're going to air this. Because, it's going to air uh, next Friday. Oh, brilliant. Because the next day will be my sibling class. Okay, good. But, uh, <laughs> you have a quick window avail- here. Yeah. Yeah. The recording's available. So even if they aren't able to, but it's, it's $49 and your viewers can have $5 off with the code podcast. So it'd just be 35 and it's two different Saturday mornings for an hour each. So a total of two hours. And we're just going to look at all the things you can do as a parent and not do that make it more likely your children are going to get along now in the short term and be able to work through their conflicts and long term, they're going to like each other because there's unfortunately a lot of stuff. that's not common sense um, in the way that we communicate or maybe show favoritism without even realizing it. And when we get like those complaints of he got more or you love him more, there's things we can do that put an end to that. And so I just want to share the first session is going to be all about how do you create a, a culture of Um, peace among siblings. And then the second session is what do you do when the S hits the fan and they're going at it? Like, what's your role? How do you come in? How do you help them resolve a conflict? Is there a best age range that this is for? Yeah, I would say elementary and younger. So 
from, you know, you got a one-year-old and a two-year-old and you're noticing some stuff. But even if they haven't, when they're really young, even if you haven't noticed any competition, I think it's a great foundational course to take. Um, Like, for instance, when two kids are fighting and one is crying, you should actually go to the victim first rather than coming up to who you think is the aggressor and saying, why would you do that? Don't do that. You just go to the victim and say, are you okay? You look so sad. Hey, um, Joe, would you mind going to get some ice? So you're helping that um, aggressor uh, (laughs) be part of the help. So I would have liked to have known that earlier than I did. And so I want to help those. But it is about like, I would say age one to 10. Okay, that's great because yeah, I definitely think that even if your kids aren't showing, if you're not noticing sibling dynamics yet, if your kids are young, that you definitely, the right words help, right? Like we're just getting, you're gonna have a better tool set that I wished I had too when my girls, they're 18 months apart and that I definitely could have helped (laughs) with some of those harder moments that you, you know, you think are gonna come, but you don't know how to handle it when you're the mom. Yeah, totally. Well, how are you taking care of yourself? I know that we mentioned self-care is kind of like this flighty word, especially Mm. with social media right now. But do you have a self-care idea for a mom? Yes. um, I was thinking through this because there's like a range of inexpensive daily to, hey, man, she's really privileged that that's how she takes care of herself. Because one of the things I like to do is a couple times a year is go to a float tank. Oh, and that. It's a sensory deprivation. They have them in like every kind of major city. And usually they're called float tanks. And you go in and you close the door and you, you're in salt water. And the air is the same temperature as the water. And it just feels like nothingness for a while. And I, I needed that when um, how overwhelming to my body parenting can be. Yeah, just overstimulating. Yeah. So that is one privileged and expensive way to do it. A, a way that I do daily is I drink Soleil in my water in the morning. Have you heard of that? No. It's basically pink Himalayan salt rocks. You get them. And when you wake up, you are kind of depleted from sweating and breathing your electrolytes. And so you're super um, uh, dehydrated. And everyone says, yeah, drink a glass of water. Well, this is even better is you put a tablespoon of the Soleil in. And the Soleil is just, I have a glass jar where I put the pink rocks that you can get off Amazon and you fill it to the top with water. And so it's just kind of like the salty water I add and you're able to drink it so quickly because it's kind of the same saline um, ratio as your body. Okay. And it just feels like, look at me, I am taking care of myself before I have coffee. I am rehydrating. And so that would be kind of daily how I take care of myself. I also like to go for a barefoot dog walk. And I get strange looks because I live in Long Beach, California. It's kind of urban and I'm probably stepping on some poop, but um, (laughs) I wash my feet when I come back in. But there's something about feeling the ground and waking up because of all the textures underneath my feet. Mm -hmm. That just feels good to me. Absolutely. I think there's so much about walking barefoot that we don't give credit to, especially outside in grass yeah, on the earth's crust the uh-huh. whole earth thing yes ma'am yeah no totally like that's one of my favorite evening practices that my house has a sunset view and to walk the backyard and to see the sunset when i when i'm home mm-hmm. and not driving kids around that yeah, that's, that's something beautiful. i try to make practice for so mm. i like that you wake up that way with your dog <laughs> so as a family how are you connecting or do you have an idea for families to connect for us, it's getting out of our home. 
um, because there's something about when we're home, everyone's doing their thing there. So it's, it's taking um, trips and those sacred times away from yeah. the home that really help us. And all the four of us all being in a car and listening to the same podcast, like enjoying the same story together. Mm-hmm. My son doesn't like movies. My um, daughter doesn't like uh, sci-fi. So we have to find like specific things, but when we're all consuming the same narrative together there's something kind of beautiful whether it's like Anne of Green Gables or we listen to Matthew McConaughey's gross autobiography on the way out here and he's such a like patriotic privileged dude but it was it was it created a conversation (laughs) piece and things we could talk about after and uh so that's important to me that we'd be listening to some some of the same stories or watching the same things together that's that's really key because then you can when you share experiences like that, you can either learn from them, but a lot of times we get inside jokes from things like that too. Yes. That builds a family culture, which is like one of the levels of play, according to science, the bantering back and forth is yes, one of the seven yes. types of play. And so, oh, I want to hear more about that. But tell tell your put in the show notes if you have a podcast that kind of goes into those seven types of play. I do, yeah. <laughs> I will definitely it, but- link that in. Another thing we do is um, we'll do monthly at a family dinner, just like, you know, pick up Chick-fil-A, but we're sitting around the table and we play 20 questions around when was your favorite time with each family member? And this is good because it's sort of a Jedi mind trick to the siblings. Like, hey, brother, um, what was your favorite moment that you spent with sister over the summer? And then we have to ask 20 questions to get at it. So, uh, okay, was it in California? No, it wasn't. Okay, was it on the East Coast or was it in a car? And they have to, we kind of prepare them, like we're playing um, best connection with each other. They have to sort of meditate on a time that they did feel connected to that family member. It's always easier for the kid to talk about it with their parent, Uh um, but that has been really fun. That sounds really fun. Yeah, celebrations are so important, and I think part of, telling a, a story of a good time you had is a part of celebrating. Absolutely. It's another one of those types of plays. Narrative play is a human experience. So you're I doing love that it. you have names for it all. I got to listen to that podcast. <laughs> it's not even mine. It's from Dr. Stuart Brown. So I have just Dr. absorbed his work. Um, and he founded the National Institute of Play. And oh, um, he's it. got seven okay. types of play. It, it's good stuff because... Because play is undervalued because we just think of pretend or video games and we discredit it. Not only is it undervalued, but it's kind of unnatural for a lot of parents. It wasn't elevated in their family or they've had to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they just, they can't remember how to play. So to have a list of, well, here's ways to do it is so helpful. And, And we live in a society that was based on Puritan values of work, 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 and then you get to play. But when you reach adulthood, that list is never, ever going to be finished. Mm-hmm. So to yeah. let yourself play, even though the list isn't done, is very countercultural still. Yeah, and I, to me, it's like a trifecta. It's work, play, and rest. Yep. Because the, the other thing is, oh, you'll rest so you can work harder? No, you'll rest because you're a human being that deserves moments of repose. Yep, we all get to be humans. Right. Yeah. That's what that's what discovering your kids a spicy kid and seeing who they are as a human and letting yourself practice being human and to roll with those things. We just yeah, all need more practice is- of being human and letting ourselves be human. 
Beautiful. And if someone listening is like, I don't know if my kid's spicy or not yet, go to the link in my bio and there's a temperament quiz. And it's literally just seven different traits of the temperament. And one side is more spicy than the other and kind of fill that out and you will know if your kid is spicy. Well, thank you. So people can find you at Mary Van Geffen at Instagram. Yeah, Instagram, I think, is where it's at. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just the easiest spot for people to to find things. So we'll find you on Instagram. Yes, and there's a link in my bio with the sibling class, with the compassionate response class, if you're feeling like you don't like your child right now. There is, um, I also teach cyclical parenting, which is sort of how do you get in sync with your cycle and parent from your superpowers in that. And um, that temperament, free temperament test is there as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being you and sharing and teaching because we all need someone that's just a little bit ahead of us in the journey of motherhood, I think. This is how we build our village nowadays. Yes, it is through podcasts and social media that we're doing it. We're figuring it out. <laughs> we are moms, moms who can take care of themselves, change the world. So thanks for modeling that. Beautiful. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Okay. I'm going to end recording here. I really hope you're walking away from this spicy kid and teens conversation feeling not alone. Because I know that you're exactly the right mom for your kid. Motherhood is too serious to be serious all the time, but also it's too important to do alone. So if you're feeling like you need to add some more mindfulness tools to your tool belt, also don't forget, check the link in my Instagram profile so you can join the Finish the Book community for How Not to Lose Your Shh with Your Kids by Dr. Carla Nomberg. I can't wait to see you there. We're going to start reading together on August 31st. Once again, I am so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.